Now, I'm not quite sure what happened to the uh, created there, but that's all right. <coughs> it's a Windows computer, so what do you expect? It's one of those things. <coughs> one of these days, Andrew will drag him into the 21st century, get him a Mac, but... Uh <coughs> Alrighty. <clears throat> we are going to sort of have a Bible study, message, recap on some of what we learnt this week. Now, I was going to bring our remaining Pastor Crockett, I had some chocolates left over, and I was going to bring them to this morning and sort of make sure that the adults behave themselves and maybe give out some, but I've left them on the kitchen table, so I'll have to eat them, okay? <laughs> uh, that's good. In the beginning, in the beginning... You know, it's, I was going to say pitiful, but it's typical that people know so little about how we got here, about how this world came into being. And so at kids clubs, <clears throat> at last few years particularly, um, <clears throat> we go back and we teach them right from the start. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Because kids don't know anything. These, I mean, I know our church kids do. They're taught it all the time. But the kids out there, they don't know anything about anything about the Bible, about how we got here. So we oftentimes, we, we usually go right back to Genesis 1 verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. <clears throat> and the earth is an amazing thing. I'm going to point this down. Oh, it's not going to work because it's not turned on. Sorry, Andrew. Okay. <clears throat> now, we actually looked the other day about the creation and uh, about what an amazing thing. And we actually went through and we looked... <clears throat> all about the first day and the second day and the third day and so on and the, and, and the waters being separated and the dirt and the, and, and the sea and then God made the grass and then God made the, the plants and the, the pomegranates and the kumquats and then he made the, the whales and the birds and then he made the land creatures and then finally <clears throat> man but <clears throat> we actually had a look at the amazing thing that is creation and the fact that God created the world in six days you say in six literal days that's what the bible says six literal days and the earth and the universe and man is just an amazing creation of god uh, now and we did this the other day but i'm going to do it again i have a watch here it's a seiko watch it's pretty old in fact i can't even get the button to work anymore so the date's not right but it's my watch and that's pretty well what it looks like on the inside maybe not exactly the same but but pretty close. So, what is a watch made of? What is a watch made of? Someone tell me. Yes, Lucy. Metal and what else? Yes, Gracie. Glass. Metal and glass. That's pretty well it. If it's a good watch, it's made of metal. I think that's stainless steel and glass. So, we're going to do our little experiment again here, boys and girls. I have uh, <coughs> my little laboratory here. Mr. Truesdale will be very pleased with my scientific method here. We have some metal, okay. Is that metal? That's metal. There's no drink in there. Someone has drunk it, drank it, drunk it. And we have glass. So we have metal and glass. What makes my watch a watch? It's got metal and glass. Okay, so what we're going to do, put that in there. I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to shake it around a bit. And so we are now going to have a watch, correct? Mm, that didn't work. Well, I'll tell you what, what if, we, what if we shake it? What if we shake it for about a year? Surely after a year, we'll have a watch, correct? 
that's done. What if, what if someone was to shake that for a thousand years? Like put it on a machine and shake it. Are we going to have a watch? What about a million years? It's just not going to work, is it? No. So these are what, there's some really supposedly smart people out there. They say, no, no, that wasn't, it wasn't just billions of years. There was a big bang. So just say we had someone, now I don't have any dynamite handy at the moment. So just say we were to put a stick of dynamite down there and put it out in the paddock somewhere and uh, bang, have it explode. We'd have a watch, wouldn't we? Man, that is the silliest illustration. But I'll tell you what, that's more believable than the theory of evolution, I'm telling you. Because when you have a big bang, things don't get better, they get worse, okay? That's uh, called the law of thermodynamics. Everything tends to get worse, not better. Isn't it easier just to believe that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth? Now, a watch is a very... Uh, I know that a watch is... I couldn't make that. No way in the world. If you could put all those parts on a table, I wouldn't know what to do. But compared to the human body... A watch is just so simple, it's ridiculous. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and God created the world and all that is within the world in six literal days. <clears throat> There's a verse that says, Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 95, 6. God is our Maker. He's our Designer. And it's the Lord. Now, of course, God's great, the greatest creation, I think I'm doing something wrong here, up there, how's that, was Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, a he and a she, okay, Mr. and Mrs., end of story, that's it, Adam and Eve, God made Adam and Eve, but as we taught the little kids during the week, and the older kids, God didn't make us as puppets, Who's ever thought of the question, why, why didn't God make Adam and Eve to do right all the time? You ever, you ever thought of that? I'm sure you have. Because God didn't make us like a puppet. You know what a puppet is. A puppet does exactly what you want it to do. But a puppet can't love you. A puppet's just a hunk of, what is it, timber. That's all it is. So God made us in his image. And part of that process was giving us a free will. And that's why God said, all right, I'm going to put you to the test here, Adam and Eve. I'm going to give you this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden, okay? And all the trees and all the stuff in here, you can help yourself. All the stuff that's really good to look at, it's really good to eat, help yourself. But there's one tree you're not allowed to eat from. Boys and girls, which tree was it? Which tree was it? Yes. Yeah, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because Adam and Eve, this was the time when they were innocent, and God said, you can eat of all the other trees, but you cannot eat of the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Because we'll cut the story short, because you know the story, how the, the, the snake came down, Satan in the form of the serpent, and he said, listen, you know, you eat from that tree and your eyes will be opened and you'll become as gods. So Adam and Eve had a choice. Do they love God or not love God? Do they obey God or do they disobey God? Do they accept his instructions or do they rebel? And of course, we know exactly what happened. They took of the fruit. Was it an apple? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Could have been a persimmon. Could have been, maybe it was a banana. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a fruit we don't have today. But they took of the fruit, they ate of that, 
and, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So they ate, and of course, we learned, and of course, God says, Adam, where are you? You didn't take of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to, did you? And of course, Adam blamed who? Eve, and Eve, bl Eve blamed the, the snake, yeah. And we, and we learned too that, and, and, and mums and dads and big people, we're no different. We're no different. We, we, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for an out, okay? <laughs> when God points out my sin, I'm always looking to blame someone else. Yeah, well, that's, that's the sin nature. Adam did it, Eve did it. And that's a thing called sin. And you know, sin came into the world... And of course, they were forced out of the, I'll leave that here. They were forced out of the Garden of Eden. Said, out you go. And we learned all about sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. It's interesting, some of the, some of the kids uh, <laughs> um, on the second day, we were looking at sin and what is sin and who has sinned. And, uh, and some of them, one, one of them, actually one of the leaders said to me, one of the young people said, oh, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I've done a few bad things, but I'm not a sinner. So we, we, we take it for granted. Those of us who come to churches like this where we preach the Bible, we take it for granted. But people out there don't know they're sinners. Yes, we are sinners. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death came upon all men, passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we are born in sin. So we're actually sinners two ways. We are born in sin, <clears throat> and you can't help that. You can't help being born. But we also choose to sin. So we're guilty both ways. And sin, <clears throat> as we all know, you look at anything that's bad in the world today, anything that's bad, wars and crime and trouble, it all goes back to sin. In fact, we can trace it all back here to the Garden of Eden. So if you want to blame anyone, I mean, don't blame anyone, but if you want to blame anyone, <laughs> blame Adam and Eve, because we're all related to them. And the consequences of sin are terrible. We are cut off from God, cut off from fellowship, and that relationship with God was severed there. And from that time on, Adam and Eve started on that road to, to die, because the Bible says, for the wages or our earnings of sin is death. Physical death, they started to physically die then, but spiritually they were dead. Then they were cut off from God. Sin is such a terrible, terrible thing. Now I'm getting some, that's a little bit of a, a preamble there. Uh, and this morning will be very, very brief. But <clears throat> I want you to notice something. Um, Adam and Eve were wearing something. Uh, I forget, if we go back one. Now here, when God showed them up for, who the, for what they'd done... They tried to make clothes out of fig leaves. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to make a suit out of fig leaves. I've never done it. I reckon it would be quite difficult, especially if you don't have a sewing machine and, and cotton. And I assume they didn't have a sewing machine in those days. But trying to cover yourself with fig leaves would have been quite difficult. And that's, uh, that is a type too. That's a great, there's great typology in that, in the works of man. Uh, it does not cover our shame. So... When God sent them out of the garden, he actually provided for them clothes. They had skins. Now, guess what? Where do skins come from? Yeah, we didn't look at this. Yes, where do skins come from? Animals. So how do you get a skin off an animal? 
Hmm, Laney, you have to kill it very, very good. In fact, we didn't even mention this last, last week at Kids Club, but that's very good, Laney. You have to kill the animal. An animal has to die. So someone had to die to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. And those innocent animals, whether it was uh, it said they had skins, was it one animal, was it two? doesn't say. It was at least one most probably big animal had to die to provide cloth clothing for Adam and Eve. Someone had to do that. So someone had, to, someone had to cover their shame, and unfortunately it was a sheep, or maybe it was a goat or a cow, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Just some animal had to substitute for them to cover their sin, to cover their shame. And I want to look at this word just for a few minutes before we close this morning. I want us to look at this word substitute. That animal was a substitute. What is a substitute? A substitute, what's a substitute? Someone who takes the place for something. Yeah, now, if, um, if you, I don't know whose teams these are. Um, <clears throat> but they have that sign that goes up. And so a substitute is when someone comes on and takes someone else's place. So as I can see, the first substitute in the Bible was that animal that was, was killed for Adam and Eve, a substitute. But then the Bible has a lot more about substitutes. There's a lot of... Bi there's a fellow called Abraham, and we won't go to Genesis chapter 12, but if you go to Genesis 12, 1 to 3, you'll read that God gave this fellow Abraham some instructions. He says, I want you to go to such and such a place. Just do what I tell you. And he said, I tell you what, you do that, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a, a, a great family. I'm going to make you into a great nation. He said, in fact, you are going to have so many descendants or ancestors, they're going to be like the stars up there. You won't even be able to name them all. And he gave him some other promises as well. He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who believe because of you. And he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you. There's seven, seven promises God gave. Look it up sometime. Genesis chapter 12. And so he went to Abraham, and Abraham is called the father of faith. Was Abraham some sort of superman? No, he was just a man like us. And some of his sins are shown in the Bible, but he was called the father of faith because he believed God. You imagine that. You imagine if God said to you, all right, I want you to go to, uh, I want you to, go to um, the Simpson Desert today. No four-wheel drive. No income, off you go. Would you go? Well, Abraham went and he didn't even know where he was going. He's just following God. And God gave him these promises. You know, God gave a promise to Abraham. Now, obviously, if you were going to have descendants, you've got to have what? You've got to have children. Well, Adam didn't have any sons to carry on his name. And so he was wondering how this would all happen. The other thing was, Abraham got to 100 years of age and he still hadn't had a, him, and, him and his wife Rebecca still hadn't had a son. And God came to them and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son in your old age. And his wife Rebecca, she was uh, Sarah, sorry, did I say Rebecca? Sarah, Rebecca? Okay, Sarah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> his wife Sarah, she was 90. She hadn't had a baby. And God said, You're going to have a baby at 90 years of age. What? 
In fact, the Bible says she laughed. And the angel said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. Said, yes, you did. Because <laughs> you can't hide laughter from God. Yes, you will have a baby and it's going to be the son of promise. And at around about approximately 100 years of age and Sarah was 90 years of age, she had this baby. Man, that is, that is some effort, having a baby at 90. Little baby, what was his name? Isaac. Isaac, the son of promise. And do you think, put your hand up if you think Abraham loved his son. Wow, he loved that son. Imagine having a baby when you, when you were a centurion. You've got, finally got your son, the son of promise. The son that God was going to bring all these millions of descendants through. You've finally got this baby. I don't reckon there was a father ever loved a son as much as Abraham loved Isaac. That little baby, he would have been spoilt rotten because this is the son of promise. This is where God's going to fulfill all these promises through this little boy. Well, we know the story, don't we? Even though we didn't have this story last week, we all know the story of Genesis 22 where God says, all right, Abraham, take your son. Now, how old was Isaac? I don't know. Most probably, at least in his teenage years, because he actually had to carry the timber up the mountain. So he wasn't just a little fella. He was, he was strong enough to be able to carry all this timber up the mountain. So maybe he was 15, 16, 18. Some say he was 30. I don't know. He was a reasonable age. And of course, that would have made Abraham 115, 120, 130. So he was an old fella. But God said, all right, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. Go up there to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Wow. To me, this is one of the great chapters of the Bible. It's an astonishing chapter that God would, 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 would promise to Abraham that through his son Isaac, there's going to be millions of people, millions of descendants. All right, I want you to go and kill him. Now, it shows what a great man Abraham was because one, he obeyed God. And two, I, I, I truly believe that Abraham believed even if he sacrificed his son, God was able to raise him from the dead. That's a man of faith. Well, you know the story. They went up the top and... And he bound his son. And again, I think, Ab I think Isaac was a bit older than that little fella, but that's just an artist's impression. And he's got the knife and he's just about to cut the throat of his son and burn him as a sacrifice. And what happened? Someone tell me. What happened? Yes. Don't hurt your son. Okay, because there was a what? There was a... Yes. Sorry? There was, a, there was a ram caught by the thorns. There was a substitute. A substitute. God went down and he saw that Abraham, yep, he, he believes me. He's obedient and he, and he put his faith into action through obedience. He said, Abraham, don't go and do that, mate. Don't do that. Lift up your eyes. There's a, there's a ram over there caught, in, its, caught in, a, in a bush with his horns. That's your substitute. You go and offer him. Go and offer him. And then if you were to look down through, through Leviticus, you'd see all the Old Testament sacrifices and every day they would sacrifice animals. And of course, once a year, they would go into the, uh, into the tabernacle, into the, the really special place, part of the tent called the holiest of all or the holy of holies. And they would, they, would, they would kill an animal and they would put the blood in there once a year. It was all about substitutes. And I've often thought, 
And I've often taught this too uh, at camps and so on, when uh, they had that big brazen altar outside in the courtyard and, and they would bring in the bullock or the ram or whatever and that they'd be tied up, I suppose around the neck or whatever, and they'd tie that up to one of the, like a big, like a handle on the corners of the, uh, uh, the brazen altar. And the priest would put his hand on the animal like this and then they'd kill the animal. They'd collect the blood and then they'd cut it up and they'd put it on the altar and burn it and so on. There's all different ways of doing that. But I've often thought of if you were an Israeli or a Jew Jewish person and you came in and you brought your animal in and you thought, hang on, that animal is my substitute. Now we know the Bible says that the Old Testament sacrifices do not take, they didn't take away sin. They were a covering for sin. We understand that. But imagine what was going through the, the mind of those Jews when every day they were bringing these innocent animals in. They didn't do anything wrong. But they, the one, they were the ones that were slaughtered as substitutes for sin. Well, we're just about finished, folks. But of course, this is the greatest substitute. He that spared, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, it's a big word, propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation actually means mercy seat, but if I can be a little bit theologically, <clears throat> have a little bit of, uh, a little bit loose there, we could say <clears throat> he sent his son to be the substitute for our sins. All those New Testament stories, and even right back in the Garden of Eden, everything points forward to the cross where Jesus was our substitute. And in fact, the theologians often talk about the, it's a big term, the substitutionary atonement, where Jesus was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. And, the, and, the, and, and, and when, when God had to kill those animals um, <clears throat> in the Garden of Eden to provide skins, that was, a, a just, that was pointing towards Christ. And when, when Abraham went to sacrifice his son, that was pointing towards Jesus Christ. And when those um, Old Testament sacrifices, thousands and millions of them, um, they were all pointing towards Jesus Christ, who was our perfect substitute. He took my place and he took your place. And they nailed those big spikes into his hands and into his feet. And they hung him up on the cross and he became our substitute. That's why we have Kids Club. That's why we have church. That's why we serve the Lord, because we have the most incredible message in the world. It's a sad message to start with. We are sinners, we are guilty before a holy God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God did not spare his son. You see, the amazing thing is, and I don't understand all this, the amazing thing is that even when God created the, the universe and created the world and, and created man, God knew what was going to happen. Because God's God. In fact, there's a verse in Revelation that talks about the lamb slain, before the foundation of the world. God knew exactly what was going to happen. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I don't know about you, but that to me that stirs my heart every time I read that verse. That Jesus was our 
substitute. You say, well, how can I make that mine? I mean, I, un I understand that. The, the gospel is that Jesus died as our substitute. He was buried, he rose again, and he's alive today. But how do I make that mine? I've heard that a hundred times, 200 times. How do I make that mine? It's by faith. It's by believing. It's by not trying to cover your shame and sin up with fig leaves. That doesn't work. That's pathetic. It's by accepting what Jesus has done for us on the cross as our perfect substitute and calling on him for salvation. And we had this verse the other day and I close with this one. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I wonder if there's someone here this morning you may be one of the boys or girls and you may, have been, you may have been coming to church here for all your five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve years, however old you are. But maybe you've never called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Maybe it's one of the older people. Maybe it's one of the mums and dads. Maybe it's one of the visitors. Maybe it's whatever. But was there a time when you thank God for sending a substitute and called on him for salvation. That's God's promise. That's his promise. And he will save you. I often quote the little chorus. <clears throat> we didn't get to sing it last week. But the little chorus that I often love to sing, there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Is there someone here? I'm speaking to church kids here too. Do you know for sure you're saved? Do you know that Jesus is your saviour? Why not trust him today? Let's have all heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed in just a few moments. We're going to sing a very short last song and then we'll be finished for the morning. Maybe there's someone here this morning and you would say, Preacher, I don't know for sure that I am saved. I don't know that there was a time when I called on the Lord for salvation. I'm just not sure, but I want to make sure today. I'd like to give you the opportunity this morning to come to Christ. We are the sinners. He's the saviour. We do the coming. He does the saving. We must come in faith. We need to acknowledge our sin. We understand that. That's the first step. Acknowledge you're a guilty sinner. <clears throat> and then you have to realise that the fig leaves of <clears throat> works don't work. We come on the basis of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross and his burial and resurrection. Maybe there's someone here you'd say, Preacher, that's me. I don't know that I'm a Christian, but I'd like to know for sure today. I'd like to make sure that Jesus is my saviour. <clears throat> this is what I want you to do. No one's looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe there's someone here and you'd say, Preacher, that's me. Would you pray for me this morning? If that's you, just put your hand up in the air, put it down again and I'll pray for you. I won't Call your name out. I won't embarrass you. Is there someone here you'd say, Preacher, that's me. I don't know that I'm a Christian, but I'd like to know for sure today. Just put that hand up so I can see it and then put it down again. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. And if there's someone else you don't know you're saved, folks, please make sure of your salvation today. If you put the hand up, Speak to mum or dad or, or come and speak to me afterwards or come and speak to Mrs Young or come and speak to pastor 
or Mrs. Crockett, um, <clears throat> come and speak to someone afterwards because we'd love to share some verses with you from the Bible and show you how you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour according to the promises of God. Thank you, dear Lord, for the wonderful kids club we had, we've had this morning and last week. We pray, Lord, for... Uh, <clears throat> Lord, we, we love to see people saved, Father. And Lord, I believe that several... Um, may have trusted you last week and we thank you for those but lord we pray for that ongoing fruit spiritual fruit lord uh, and lord if there's someone here today we pray for those that raise the hand lord may they know for sure that they are saved thank you for our time uh, <clears throat> in church and we thank you that we have a wonderful savior in jesus name we pray amen will you take your uh, songbook, please